prophecy. So turn with me this morning to Daniel chapter 2. I have preached on this in days gone by, but I want to revisit it today. And it's just a good reminder for us that the Bible is a miraculous book and it says some incredible things, some wonderful things. So Daniel chapter 2, and I'll start out by reading one verse, verse 44. Daniel 2 verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. If the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom, then that kingdom would be appropriately called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Both phrases are found in the New Testament. Um, And so that's the topic. God's going to set up a kingdom in the days of those kings. And he says, this kingdom will uh, not be left to other people. In other words, the king's not going to die and leave it to somebody else. It shall break in pieces all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. The background here in Daniel 2, and most of you will know this story, uh, Daniel is in Babylon, having been exiled there along with others. And Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, uh, has these Hebrew children, these Hebrew families, and they are his servants, even slaves. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has a dream. And no one can seem to interpret this dream. And Daniel tells him, and this is all in the story. You can back up later and read the story. But Daniel says, it's not in me or in us to interpret this, but there's a God in heaven who will tell us the dream and its interpretation. So Daniel says, what you dream, Nebuchadnezzar, was of a huge, fearsome-looking man. And he says, this man had four sections to him. At the top, his head was made of gold. And Daniel says, you, O king, are that head of gold. Then he says, another kingdom is going to come, silver. Now we know from history, and by the way, this is pretty much accepted across the board, uh, that the next kingdom that defeated Babylon was Persia, the Medes and the Persians. It would be like Iran defeats Iraq. That's basically what that would amount to. The third kingdom was made of bronze and it has to do with his, with the the dream of the man 
from his torso down. And then the fourth kingdom was iron. That's his basically his legs. And mixed with some clay, which weakened it in indicating that there was some mixing of cultures together. But then Daniel says, there's a stone. I, I kept looking at this fearsome, impressive man. And then I saw a stone, not by human hands. And it came out of heaven. And it struck that image on the foot. And when he, when he struck... When the stone struck that image on the foot, the whole thing collapsed. So that the man, the, what, what Daniel is saying here, this, he says this stone is from the God of heaven who will set up a kingdom that will not be destroyed. And this stone will grow and increase in size until it is a great mountain filling the whole earth. Now that's the substance of Daniel chapter 2. Now this, and this was given to Daniel 550 years before Jesus was born. Now historians are amazed at this. He, he plainly lays it out in verse 44... In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. In other words, that stone is going to hit because the gold head represents Babylon. The silver rep represents Persia. Then who defeated Persia? Greece. It's all history. And Greece defeated Persia. They are the third section of bronze. It's interesting, too, that the Greeks were the first one to use bronze shields. So the Greeks are the, are the third section. The fourth section is Rome. They were iron-fisted, represented by iron. Less valuable, but stronger than all the others. So these are the four kingdoms. And in the days of those kings, while... While Rome is still in existence, that stone is going to hit their feet and the whole thing will collapse. And that kingdom will become a kingdom over all the earth. Um, there are two reasons that I take the stone striking the feet as the first coming of Christ there are some who take it as the second coming but there are two reasons I think are very strong why we would take this as the first coming of Christ one is he clearly says in verse 44 that it's in the days of those kings that the stone struck the foot in other words, toward the end of the Roman Empire which covered the earth. So that is going to be in the time of Jesus Christ. Rome was still in existence, but it was starting to weaken. And now, and, and 
was lost to the pagans in the 4th century, the Roman Empire as we see it in the New Testament. So he clearly says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Uh, in Luke 2, 1, in those days, Luke said, there was a decree from Caesar Augustus that, to tax the world. So we know that Rome is when Jesus is born, when Caesar was on the throne. The second reason I take it as the first coming is because when Jesus made his public appearance, he said the time for the kingdom had arrived. That's in Mark 1.14. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom, kingdom of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, when Jesus went about preaching the, the coming of the kingdom, that it's at hand, the time is fulfilled, nobody said, what do you mean? They all knew. That's the prophecy of Daniel. They understood what the kingdom was. They understood what the time was. So this is the time? That was the, the big question. So the stone is hitting the the foot right now. Now they misinterpreted and thought it was military, but, but nonetheless, Jesus said the time is fulfilled. The only time frames in the Old Testament prophets that I'm aware of are those in the book of Daniel. Paul confirms this in Galatians 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son born of a woman. See, fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. That's not the second coming, that's the first coming. So these are the reasons I would take it as the first coming of Christ here. Now here's the difficulty. There's difficulties in both directions. But <clears throat> what this is teaching is there's... The kingdoms of men are finished when Christ is born. These king, Babylon, Persia, Greece with Alexander the Great and the fourth kingdom was Rome with the Caesars. These were worldwide empires. Since Jesus was born, there has never been a worldwide empire. Can I get an amen on that? Who tried it? Who, who said, we're going to have a worldwide empire? Hitler tried it. The Third Reich. His, his empire lasted six years from third, 1939 to 1945. And he said... We'll have a thousand-year reign. That's laughable. God said, no, you won't. I've already got a king. And it's not you. Napoleon tried it. Mao Zedong in China tried it. Uh, there's always men who rise up with an intense nationalism that want to impose their kingdom over all the world. And God said, He will set up a kingdom and it will never be destroyed. So 
we know today this is the year 2021. That means 20, 2,021 years ago, Jesus was born. All the world acknowledges the birth of Christ is the start of a new calendar. <laughs> so the whole world acknowledges that. The difficulty is when you look at this stone, it was cut by no human hand. Back up there in Daniel 2. Um, let me read, start reading in verse 31. Uh, you saw, O king, in a great image, this image was mighty and exceedingly bright, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. Uh, the appearance of human governments can be scary. Amen? What the government can do to you, that's, that causes men to tremble. They can arrest you. They can put you in jail. They can manipulate the system. The, uh, so these human governments, the appearance was frightening. It, it says in Daniel 2, 31. The head, verse 32, the head of this image was fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver, its middle and thighs of bronze. Its legs were iron and its feet partly iron and clay. Verse 34, as you looked, a stone was cut by no human hand. See, this is a divine kingdom. Men didn't set up the kingdom of God. This one was set up by God himself. No human hand did it. And it struck the image on the feet and broke them in pieces. That is to say, it is a powerful kingdom. The kingdom of God by his Holy Spirit, the kingdom of Christ as mediated through his word, this is a powerful kingdom kingdom and makes human presidents tremble in their nice homes and then it says in verse 35 they were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor and the wind carried them away so not a trace could be found but the stone that struck the image verse 35 became a great mountain. The stone representing Jesus Christ and his kingdom, it's a fifth kingdom, struck that image on the feet and that stone became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Hallelujah. That's the future of the kingdom of God which the local expression is the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, so we are a, a manifestation of that kingdom, the rule of Christ. We are a people who have said to Jesus Christ, I believe you're the Lord. I believe you're the King of Kings. I bow the knee to you. I worship you alone. I obey you. Now listen, I know that some of us are weak. 
I include myself in that. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we don't grow. But I want you to know that that we're still in that kingdom. We still know who the king is. We still know who to bow the knee to. And it says, This image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That is the future of the church of Jesus Christ. It's, it's going to fill the whole earth. It's going to continue to increase. Now, you know, uh, up here in Michigan, people talk about a mountain or Mount Morris or Mount something. And you look at it and you don't see much. of It's more like a little bump in the road. I grew up at the feet of the Smoky Mountains. Now there's you a mountain. You people don't know what a mountain is. The Smoky Mountains is famous primarily for what? Uh, Dolly Park. No, 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 no. That's not right. It is famous. Gatlinburg is at the foot of the Smoky Mountains. And Smoky Mountains is America's most visited national park. 11 million visitors per year. 17,000 species of animals and trees that are so thick they and the, the foliage so thick they produce this gas and it looks like a fog over the Smoky Mountains every morning. That's why they call it Smoky Mountains because of all that gas that's emitted by all the foliage and the trees, the thickness of the trees. Trees that were there before a single pioneer put his foot on the ground. It towers over everything. It is the reason for everything in Gatlinburg. It is the measure of everything. It's the arbiter of everything. If you don't just decide to go to the Smokies, it decides if you're coming. I remember going up there one day and I thought, let's all go to the Smoky Mountains. But it was so snowy and the roads so windy, we could hardly get off that mountain quick enough. Because we didn't have, it was like we didn't have brakes. It will determine whether you come and see it or not. It's imposing. It's intimidating. It rises up and goes on forever. And if you live in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, it has filled the whole earth. That's the way Christianity is going to be in the future. A huge mountain with Jesus as Lord. And that's the prophecy of Daniel. He is not telling you the church is going to be little remnants here and there, weak and and fearful and with Antichrist coming out of every uh, place in the earth. No, the, the church is given a future 
vision here that is incredible. There is no arrogance at the foot of the Smoky Mountains. And I say this for one reason, because people can get frustrated and fearful and even doubtful. Daniel, remember, is in exile. He could have been doubtful. God showed him this vision. And he's, even though I'm here as a slave in exile, I see the future. Therefore, my heart is encouraged. Um, is the church really going to become a great mountain? Is the kingdom really going to increase to the point where it is like the Smoky Mountains hovering over Gatlinburg? And everybody has to adjust to it? Is it going to be so powerful and widespread? Let me give you some examples of why I believe we're on our way to that. And I don't care that there's liberals in the, in the Congress, in the Senate, in the White House. I, I, I don't care if there's atheist websites everywhere and books being churned out by all of them and doubts being placed on the Bible and Marxism being required reading in the colleges. I, I don't care about all that. Here's what I take above all of it. I take this. I, and I, I pronounce their future defeated and the church's future victorious based on scripture. But here's some examples of why I, th I think we're headed that direction. Rodney Stark has a book called The Triumph of Christianity. He's sort of the go-to guy um, in uh, church growth and globally. He writes that in the first 350 years of Christianity, Christians made up almost half the Roman Empire. Just they, There were so many Christians just in the first 350 years that some even say that it was a majority, that they had reached a tipping point. And the emperor, Constantine, himself became a Christian, a professed Christian. Whereas 10 years before, Diocletian persecuted the church, Constantine's mother was a Christian, and she said, son, if you're going to be the emperor of Rome... You need to get your act together. And Jesus is Lord. And his mother led him to Christ. And he was the first Roman emperor who said Christianity is the religion of the empire and all of the pagan temples should be handed over to the churches for the worship of Jesus Christ. <laughs> what an amazing thing. That, actually, that is the basis out of which the Roman Catholic Church emerged. The only church in existence for another thousand years after that. He points out, Rodney Stark, points out that Christianity is not only the world's largest religion, uh, about seven and a half billion people in the world, Christianity has about two and a half to maybe three billion professor, 
professions of faith. So it's not quite half. But the next to it is Islam, which is one and a half billion. So Christianity has almost twice. It's far ahead in terms of numbers. Almost half the world. We're pushing toward half the world. Has been Christianized to some extent. And has a gospel witness in its nation. But this is, this is incredible. And remember that a lot of the Muslims, they are Muslim because if you're not a Muslim, you're dead. It's like being in, Af- in Afghanistan right now. If you say, well, those are all Muslims. Yeah, give them a choice and see what they are. They'll, they'll climb on the plains trying to get to America and away from the Islam uh, rigidity. So, but Christianity is not like that. We give invitation. Our approach is prayer. Our approach is appeal. Our approach is persuasion. Our approach is logical, rational, reasonable argument. Our approach is compassion, not law. And that's how we fight our battles. <laughs> Amen. That's how we fight our battles. And here's another example. Not only the example of the worldwide renewal of the Christian faith globally, but example number two is uh, the cities in America. You would think if you watch the news all the time that Christianity is on the downside. Christianity is actually flourishing with new churches starting hundreds per month uh, and mega churches. In 1970, that's when I first started preaching, there were 12 churches in America that ran 2,000 or more. Twelve. Called mega churches. Today, in America, there are 2,000 churches with 2,000 or more. 50 years later. From 12 with 2,000 or more to, to 12,000 or 2,000 with uh, 2,000 or more. So God is working quietly, slowly, gradually, but powerfully and effectively all over the United States. In Conway, Arkansas, anybody ever been to Conway? How many's heard of Conway? One, two. Little obscure Arkansas town, 60,000 people. It has a church called New Life Church, which has 15,000 members. <laughs> One church has 25% of the population of the whole town. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 13, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. She hid it. It's not this big public explosion where we go to the 
towns with a cannon. I want to tell you, church, God is working all over this nation. There are pastors. When, when I graduated from Southern Seminary, show that uh, graduation picture. This is a graduation picture of, at Southern Seminary where I graduated. And it, I think there were like three or 4,000 people there and uh, hundreds of graduates. It took like two hours to read all of our names off. And these are all young men going into the ministry uh, and getting ready to start new churches and do missions. And they do this twice a year. That's just one seminary. We have six seminaries just in our denomination. There are many denominations. Think of the hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of young men every year taking up their Bible and marching off to the front lines of, of this spiritual battle. And I'm telling you, if I was the devil, I'd be very discouraged. And, and, and this comes from saying, okay, look, the stone hit the mountain or hit, the stone hit the feet of these kingdoms and the stone grew and increased till it became this imposing mountain. And that's where we're headed. We may not live to see it, but we need to get some of the direction that we're going in down so we don't get discouraged. Satan loves to get us discouraged because of the work. So here's what we should remember. One, remember that God uses weakness. In these uh, medals that are shown here, um, gold is at the top, but it says fine gold. Did you know that fine gold is a soft metal? Silver is harder than gold. And then bronze is harder than silver. And then iron is stronger than any of them. So that in the moment of human strength, that is the iron of Rome, the, Jesus is born. <laughs> man's greatest, in, in the time of man's greatest strength, God sends forth his weakest member, a baby. Hit that thing on the foot. And over the millennia, over the centuries, that baby grew up to be a king. And that king developed a kingdom. And that kingdom is causing the armies of this world to tremble. 1 Corinthians 1.25, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The weakness of God stronger than men. A second thing I want you to remember is that God takes His time. In verse 34, it says that, that he, the stone hit the image on the feet and he ground them into pieces. He broke them into pieces. But the word ground or break into pieces is the same word used in Daniel 6.24 of when men were thrown in the lion's den. It says the, the lions broke them in pieces, broke their bones in pieces. It means it, they gnawed them. 
They ground them into pieces. Uh, lions do not eat the bones first. They eat the, they eat the flesh first of their prey. And then they take the bones and gnaw on them all night long. And, and that is what the stone did. It hit and it ground them and it gnawed at them and it worked on them until the victory was won. That's what we have to do. God takes his time. He's not in a hurry. And third, remember that God never loses. He said, this stone is going to fill the earth. I believe it. He said, this stone is going to never be destroyed. It's kingdom. The kingdom made not with the hands, but the heavenly kingdom. It will not only destroy the others, but it will grow into its own uh, imposing mountainous reign. God, who cannot lie, said that this little stone would be a mountain. This is a prophecy you can, you can build your life on because Jesus is Lord and all that that means. The church is the expression of it. Somebody said... Every time we pronounce the church has died or that God is dead, remember that the corpse has always outlived its pallbearers. <laughs> amen, amen. Dear people, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness because when you do that, you are investing in that which is eternal, that which is victorious. Put your life there because that's what will show up both in history and in eternity. Bud, you come. Ushers, you come. And let's conclude with a final song. And let's worship. Let's invest in this kingdom. That's what we're doing here. We're investing in the kingdom that's going to flourish and grow and conquer in the earth. Let's bow together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for letting us be a part of the wonderful kingdom of heaven. We pray that you'll open our eyes today, help us to see the future like Daniel did. Help us to be very encouraged and very happy with your work. Help us to uh, just submit to your timing on these things and give you glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
fantastic to be able to gather with you all again. Have a blessed week. Y'all are dismissed. I cannot wait for next Sunday.